Hi, I'm Adam Phillips, and I love comics. Sure, I love superhero comics, but I also love comics that are funny, or romantic, or educational, or even kind of filthy. Some have been around for decades, but I have a special place in my heart for the ones that came and went in the blink of an eye. We call them one-shots, and some of them you may have heard of, while others might make you ask, why? This is One-Shot Wonders. Welcome to One-Shot Wonders. We have a guest star today, Barry Dutter, who is a writer and editor of comics and other stuff. I'm going to let him introduce himself a little bit, and then we'll talk about the one and only Night Cat. Go for it, Barry. Hello there, Adam. How are you? This is Barry Dutter. I am a former writer and editor for Marvel Comics. I've also had several books published, and I'm currently, I work as a comic book dealer. Now I get to uh, buy and sell all those comics I used to love so much when I was a kid. Wow, did not know that. It's true. Are you affiliated with a, a particular store, or are you doing like an online thing, or what? I'm doing an online thing. I primarily sell through Facebook, actually. I'm in a group of comic book buyers and sellers that has 25,000 members, I believe. So it's just a great, great way to, to uh, get comics out there for people to see them. And uh, people love being in these groups. They love buying and selling comics there. That's very cool. You got to tell me the name of the group because I'll take a look. Sure. The group is called, uh, I want to make sure I get it right because there's a lot of groups with similar names, but it's... Yeah. Hold on. I'll tell you. Comic Book Lovers... Buy, sell, trade, and auctions is the name of the group. So uh, C-B-L-B-S-T-A, as we like to call it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. so much easier. Yeah, there's a number of groups out there that have similar names. So when I tell people, oh, it's the comic book lovers group, and they go, yeah, there's like a dozen of those already. So I'm like, all right, well, just find it. Wow. <laughs> I, I will. And, you know, I've been known to buy a comic book or two, so I'll check it out. I was looking yeah, and I can it. certainly, I'll send you a link to my latest auction. I post new auctions just about every day of the year. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. So Nightcat has, you know, been a little bit of an obsession of mine for the past couple of months. The very first podcast thing I did. I was on an episode of Take a Break with Stephen Seamus, where he wants to talk about Marvel Age magazine with me because I have been writing and blogging about Marvel Age for the past few months. And he asked about issue 98. And so I dug up my issue 98 and it's the one with uh, the Toxic Avenger on the cover. Mm -hmm. But it also has this article about Nightcat, who I'd never heard of, of course, because She's kind of obscure. But tell me, you know, how did you get started? Because you were the co-writer on this, the Nightcap project. And yes. how did you get started? How did you hear about it? Okay. Um, I was on staff at Marvel at the time as an assistant editor. And I had initially worked with Jim Salakrep. Uh I was in the Spider-Man office, although I did not work on Spider-Man. I actually worked on Marvel Age. I was the uh, assistant editor of Marvel Age for about six months or so before I got promoted to a different office. Mm. I always got along well with Jim, and we always enjoyed working together. And at the time, Jim was, of all the editors at Marvel, Jim was closest to Stan Lee. Jim was the one who said, we need to have a, a monthly Stan soapbox in Marvel Age magazine. We need to have Stan. Yep. Uh, I, bet, I don't know if it was his idea. I'm sure he pushed for Stan to do the weekly soapbox on the bullpen bulletins page. If that wasn't his idea, I'm sure he pushed for it and certainly was a number one uh, champion of Stan. So he was always about, you know, let's, we've got this great resource in Stan Lee. He's the guy, he's Mr. Marvel. 
he has all this history with the company. And, you know, whenever Jim had the chance to give Stan some work, he would have Stan write, like, he would maybe script a Spider-Man annual or something like that, where it was just the chance for fans to see that Stan is still alive and still part of Marvel. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, because Stan was mostly based in L.A. at that, actually completely based in L.A., he would he would come back and visit the East Coast a couple times a year. But pretty much he was, a, you know, a West Coast guy. So I think a lot of the other editors at Marvel had pretty much moved on to other to new new talent, younger talent. And they weren't really thinking, hey, Stan's the guy we should get for whatever project. Right. Now, you know, I, perhaps you know that you <clears throat> followed me as assistant editor on Marvel Age by a few years, right? I did not know that, sir. I'm sorry. I didn't. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. No, you know, you're not obligated. But yes, I was um, the assistant editor on Marvel Age back around issue. I started with issue 34 for uh-huh. a year and a half or so. Wow. And yeah, Jim Jim is a lot of fun to work with. He's always always had a ton of great ideas. And really, one of the very first things I had to do at Marvel Age was the, the one day Jim Salakrup hands me a piece of paper and says, it gives me a card out of his Rolodex and says, here, call, call this number and ask for Stan and read what it says on there. And it was basically an outline for what the Stan soapbox for Marvel Age was going to be in the next issue. Hmm. And that was like one of the first things I had to do, which was uh, made me very nervous at the time because I was like, I was still in college when I was working on Marvel Age. So... Wow. Yeah, crazy. Anyway. I'm sorry, did you work uh, in the office at all? Were you there a few days a week? Yeah, um, just because I had transferred from like one college to another and then I had like an odd number of credits. So like my last year of school was like one day a week. So the rest of the time I was at the office. Oh, interesting. Okay. I was just yeah, it was weird. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So anyway, Nightcat. Yes. You know, according to the article here, written by Renee Witterstatter and Dan Handelman. <laughs> oh, that that would be me, actually. I, I'm Dan Handelman. Oh, well, yeah. You know, I was wondering. I never heard that name before, and I thought, where did that come from? Uh, that is hilarious. Back in the old CB radios days, they used to say, what's your handle, man? Uh, <laughs> so I'm like, oh, handle man. That's it. That's my handle. I love it. I love it. That's so great. <laughs> this is something the character was sort of cooked up by Stan. And somebody from this record company, I guess. But Don Kessler. There you go. <laughs> yes. Apparently, uh, Don was friends with Stan. I don't know how they where they met or whatever, but they you know, they became friends. And I think it literally was a case of Don coming up to Stan and saying, hey, Stan, my girlfriend is a hot new singer and she's really sexy. You should do a comic book about her. And Stan was probably like, <laughs> that's a great idea. Well, I'll get Marvel on that right away. <laughs> and I think how that one came about. I don't think it was anything more than that. That sounds about right. And I mean... <laughs> You know, it sounds like the obvious follow-up to the Dazzler. There are places where that is, is mentioned as an obvious parallel, the next step, where you can get an actual person who's got a singing career of some kind to uh, be a comic book hero. How did it fall on you and, and Jim to do the, the story, to cook it up? Yeah, um, I believe the the editor who was assigned to the project was Bob Budiansky. I recall. And Bob, um, in in these days, I think Stan was probably pitched as the scripter of the comic. He, uh, in those days, Stan was probably too busy to come up with the plot, so he enjoyed scripting because I, I've always said scripting is the easiest job in comics when somebody else comes up with the plot yeah. and they give you the plot and the artwork, and all you have to do is put the the word, you know, figure out what the characters are saying, 
It's, right. It takes the least amount of time, let's put it that way, generally speaking. So, <laughs> uh, and Jim Salakop was kind of the go-to guy. He was kind of the stands too busy to do the whole job. So Jim, can you come up with the plot? And then uh, Stan will script it. And at that point, Jim was getting too busy to come up with the plot. So then I sort of became Jim's uh, basically uh, co-plotter. And he would come to me and say, hey, how would you like to come work with me on this project? And Stan's going to script it. And, you know, geez, I was whatever. I don't remember how old I was. Let's say 25, whatever, mid to late 20s. Lifelong comic book fan, lifelong Marvel fanatic, huge fan of Stan Lee. And so, of mm -hmm. course, you, you ask any Marvel fan, how'd you like to work on a comic with Stan Lee? Of course, the answer is yes. It didn't even matter what the comic was. I, and, it, you know, I know that the Nightcat comic is considered kind of a, a punchline, as it were, in the comic book community. And I, I get that. I understand it's there's been a lot of one shot comics that came and went where people were like, how, remember that thing? And how did that get published? And I, I get it. And it's not like, <laughs> it's not like, a, um, it's like my proudest achievement, but to, to work on a comic with Stan Lee, yeah, that was a lifelong dream. And uh, that's something they can never take away from me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, I was doing some research and it's very hard to find much of anything. I mean, you can listen to the album on uh, YouTube. Somebody's posted like every track on it and you can hear it. But, According to what I saw, at least, she made a couple of late-night talk show appearances, and they don't seem to be online anywhere, hmm. um, which is too bad, because I would love to see her on stage or in the persona, kind of, you know, this costume was designed by Jim Lee, and yes. how that translates to an actual person would be interesting to see. I guess we see that all the time now at conventions with cosplay, but still, this, you know, would be a little different, I think. Yeah, there's some fun things about it with the story, too, because, like, her dad has, the character's father has forbidden her from trying to have a singing career that she wants to have because mm -hmm. her mother died when she failed as a singer. And so she, you know, adopts this character eventually in this costume, but the costume doesn't cover her face at all. <laughs> and then he still doesn't recognize her, or he, he kind of goes like, oh, that looks like my daughter. It's like, well, it's did you so ever scary. hear of a little show called Hannah Montana? Yeah, right. <laughs> I seem to wonder where they got that idea from. Yeah, really. It's it's a. I mean, there, there's a long tradition of in fiction. If I say I'm in a costume, I'm in a costume, and no one can recognize me. <laughs> right. Uh, it's great. And then, did you uh, have any? I mean, who who worked with Jim Lee? Who was when he was designing this costume, or did it was just like Jim? Do this, do this costume, and then he turned it in. Yeah, a lot of work was done on the project before I came aboard, including the the design of the costume. Uh, I think that was oh, a case gotcha. where I'm going to assume probably Bob Budiansky, because he's a great editor and had great instinct. He was like, we need someone to design a character for this costume. Let's call the hottest artist in the business, or one, you know, one of the top two or three hottest artists, Jim Lee, which was a great choice. Yeah, really. I don't know if you've ever seen Jim's original sketch for the costume, but he did a beautiful job on it. No, I have not. I had it hanging um, on my wall at Marvel for years, and then years went by, and uh, you know, you lose things, you misplace things. So, uh, sadly, I don't really have it anymore. But it was a nice gym. Ah, uh, uh, well, I will have to look for it, but and yeah. see if I can find it online somewhere. So this came out in the the cover date is April, and it's 1991. Hmm. I like to mention that kind of thing, and the music. It, it's very 1990s synth pop, and I don't think it stood the test of time, if you know what I mean. It's pretty rare yeah. for somebody who did one record. 
let, let's just say the, um, the the impact of the comic was far greater than the impact of the album. How about we say that? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> because the comic is still being talked about uh, 30 whatever years later. It is. The album. Not Rightly so. <laughs> yeah. And this is also a really early job for Dennis Cowan. Mm-hmm. And you know, as the art, as the penciler, and maybe one of the very first jobs for Jimmy Palmiotti inking. I mean, in the article in Marvel Age, they call him. You guys call him newcomer Jimmy Palmiotti. Hmm. Okay. So he, he must have been really new. Just a youngster back then, but he did a great job. I know, right. Yeah, fantastic. A short time afterwards, I had the chance to interview Dennis Cowan for something for Marvel Age, not related to Nightcat, just, you know, a general article about whatever he was working on. And I did ask him, I said, hey, uh, would you be interested in working on more Nightcat? I was just, I didn't think there was going to be any more Nightcat, but I just, you know, it seemed like a nice (laughs) follow-up question. He had, I think, one of the greatest answers I've ever heard an artist give. He said, I think we already made the statement with that book. (laughs) <laughs> Which, I love that because yeah. it just it's a very nice way of dissing a project but not really dissing it just kind of saying yeah we, we said what we had to say yeah really that is a very diplomatic way to put it for yes. sure I love there you it. go Den- Dennis is awesome uh he's he's such a great guy and so talented you know I mean was there talk of any further Nightcat adventures or was it just like this one no actually there was talk of one more adventure of Nightcat and it's the greatest uh, tragedy of my career, and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because it's it's an interesting <laughs> story. Jim Salakrub, uh, you know, he's a number one booster of anything Marvel's doing. Yeah, when he was working for Marvel, he was the number one cheerleader. Yes. He was like, we have to get 110% behind everything we're doing. Otherwise, yeah, what's the point? Let's get... So Jim came to me one day in the Spider-Man office and said, how would you like to write an issue of Spider-Man where he meets Nightcat? Well... That's a good idea, actually. <laughs> and, and you know what? It was a good idea. And I think I can't remember. I think he suggested the villain. I think he suggested the villain would be Mysterio, who's like the show business related villain. Yep. And I loved. Of course, I said yes, and I loved the idea. And I sat down with. Actually, went out to lunch with Jim, and I, I you know, I didn't want to screw up my first and possibly only chance at ever writing Spider-Man. So I said, "Well, Jim, tell me what do you want the story to be, and I'll write." You know, I was, yeah, I, I was really like fum- fumbling around in the dark there. Just what, tell me what to write. And so we worked out a story, and it was a fun team up between Spider-Man and Nightcat. And it would have been her first, well, and probably last, but official Marvel Universe appearance, establishing that she is in the MCU. Nice. And uh, I went home. I wrote the plot. Uh, I, I filled out my invoice. I got paid for the plot. Jim read it. He hated it, and it was never published. And that was the, the last of Nightcat appearing in the MCU. He hated it, but you asked him what he wanted. I know. <laughs> Come on, Jim. <laughs> I know. Enough for nothing, but he could have. I, I wish I had said to him, well, is there anything I can do to make this story uh, more to your liking? I wish I had said that, but he just instantly rejected. It was just like instant rejection. Nope. Not not worthy of. Nah. And, you know, not for nothing, but Marvel published a lot of crap in the 90s. I'm just saying. It's not like, <laughs> I'm not yeah. saying the story was better than all the other stories in the 90s. I'm just saying. It wasn't any worse than a lot of the other stuff we were publishing in the 90s. Yeah, there was a, a lot of stuff coming out, that's for sure. I mean, I'm amazed when I look at the lists of titles. It's just crazy. Oh, I didn't tell you. Wait, let me tell you the okay. best real quick. Uh, this would yeah. have been an issue of the uh, Todd McFarlane Spider-Man series, 
but with a with a guest artist who Jim sa- actually said to me, maybe we'll get someone like Michael Golden to draw it, someone like that. Oh wow! So, yeah, that so, been the royalties would have been insane. You know, this is the early nineties <laughs> when books were selling. Yeah, you know, I've heard crazy stories of how much royalties people were making back then, and yeah. So oh yeah. Obviously, the greatest disappointment of my career. I mean, yes, I can. To this day, I can tell anyone I was paid to write a Spider-Man story, but it was never published. So, nah, yeah, no, I, I definitely know of people who used, you know, had royalties to the tune of enough that they could were buying houses. Yeah, so I literally heard stories of friends of mine who became millionaires uh, in the early '90s off their work. Dang, that's yeah. amazing. So. So there's been at least one or two people I've, I've seen because I found a couple of articles about Nightcat online have compared this story to the movie Catwoman. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts about that? Okay. Did they rip um, you off? Okay. I've never seen the movie Catwoman because I heard it's terrible. Ah, but it is terrible. I've heard that they stole the plot to the Nightcat comic or a lot of elements of it. So it's 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 funny. I, I almost I feel like whoever wrote the Nightcat movie. They, I'm sorry, let me start over. The Catwoman movie, they probably read <laughs> yes. the cat comic book and said, eh, close enough. <laughs> let me see what I can take from here. <laughs> I just yeah, they, maybe so. They borrowed liberally. Yeah, truthfully, I mean, they may not have ever, ever seen this comic. It just seems like the first thing you would do if you're trying to make a Catwoman movie where she gets superpowers is, what would the powers be? Cats. How would she get them? Okay, that like this. You know, it's it's seems incredibly obvious and it's part of the problem with the movie i remember we saw a screening of it when it came out and i was brand new at dc at the time Hmm. we came out and everyone hated it except one guy um and i was like okay you know and he was on drugs i guess there's an audience so um night let me ask you on nightcat also did you get to see her play live no i never got to see her play live Ah. I am friends with Jackie uh, on social media. We've kept in touch. Oh, over really? The years. Yeah. Um, wow. I mean, part of me is thinking you should talk to her for the night cat, uh, for her perspective on this thing. Um, and I could. That's fantastic. I didn't even know. I can put yeah, you in touch if you'd like. Um, she's very sweet. And she's actually just started now, 30 years later, she's just started doing signings at uh, comic cons and conventions. And she's really trying to get that going. And I told her, I said, do you still have the night cat costume? And she's like, no, but I could probably you know, make something similar. I'm like, yeah, you should do it. And uh, that's wow. that certainly she's, you know, she of course can sign the night cat comic for you, but I, I do wish she had a Spider-Man meets <laughs> night cat comic that she could also sign. Cause that would be like one more thing for fans to get autographed. Right. Wouldn't that would be great. Yes. Or, or if you're one of the rare lucky people who has a copy of the uh, night cat records, I mean, there was a single, there was an album. So, those, you know, you can get those signed as well. True. true. I was just looking, just looking on eBay earlier, and the twelve-inch uh, single of the lead song, which I don't remember which one it was. Uh, <laughs> it's out there. It's about twenty-five bucks, but it's out there. Interesting. The comic only sent me back a couple of bucks. Sorry to tell you. So <laughs> okay. um, anyway, yeah, right. Is there anything else you would like to say about this fantastic comic before you think about wrapping up here? Sure. Just that uh, as much as people like to, you know, uh, diss the comic or slag the comic, the fact is, I mean, Jim Lee designed the the costume. Uh, Joe Jusco did a beautiful cover painting. And it's 
written by Stan Lee. So, you know, I'm not saying myself, but I'm saying there is some really real talent uh, that was involved in producing the comic. And uh, Joe Jessica loves to point out that those are his actual cats that he painted on the cover. Oh, that's great. He's very proud of it because it's the only time his cats ever get to appear on the cover of a Marvel comic. Yeah, sure. I love that. And uh, Jackie herself is, is a sweetheart. She lives in uh, Florida now, and she's looking to do more appearances and signings as Nightcat. So if anyone wants to contact her, uh, she and I had talked about maybe doing a, an appearance together, a signing together somewhere down the line, and that, that might happen someday. Nice. And I will say, you know, it's a, it's a fun look. It's a very 1990s kind of story. There's drug mm-hmm. dealers and early use of computers and, and stuff like that. <laughs> He's clearly having fun writing it. If I could just uh, one more thing I wanted to mention that uh, Jim had some great ideas when it, when it came to the plot. Jim had the idea that, you know, the movie uh, Die Hard had come out a few years before. And Jim right. said, well, there's that moment in Die Hard where Bruce Willis runs across the broken glass and hurts his feet. And I remember he said, let's just come up with something similar to that and we'll put it in the Nightcat comic. Yeah. So, I, you know, we had her. She's uh, She has to sort of climb up the building in the end to get to the evil yes. uh, lady. And so we were like, okay, that's like just us doing Die Hard. We were just straight out stealing whatever we could from Die Hard at that point. Yeah, sure. I mean, it does feel like an action movie, you know, in that way, you know, not just because it's like Die Hard, but I mean, you know, the, the kind of action set pieces and, and such really had that feeling. Yeah. I think about every action movie from the 90s had bad guys carrying big suitcases filled with either guns or drugs or something. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. It's fantastic. (laughs) All right. Well, this has been fun, and I appreciate you coming on, Barry. And, you know, maybe uh, I will try to do an episode with with Jackie if if we can manage it. So I appreciate the, the thought. That would be fun. I'll put you in touch with her in case you want to try and track her down. Fantastic. All right. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for listening to One Shot Wonders. I'll be back next week with another One Shot comic. Meanwhile, hit the subscribe button, leave me a review, tell your friends, and go buy some comics.